Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck! The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of BTL. Happy Thursday to us all. As we're coming off a memorable UFC 298 event in Anaheim. We finally got our UFC 300 main event question answered. And there's a whole lot of MMA this weekend. So we'll discuss that and much more. No time to waste. Let's introduce the combatants. First, he's in the middle of a short winter residency in Tampa, Florida. He's Mr. No Gray Area, Mr. Hot Take, the Cannibal Kid. And after yesterday, we can now add sunburns and but yet renowned videographer to the resume from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing great, sunburnt, as you can probably tell. Uh, Casey, shout out to you. My first foray into videography, and I got to say, I'm, I'm not coming for the title. The, the, the crown is yours. It's safe. Uh, you do not need to be concerned about me taking your job. Yes, uh, sunburned for sure. I'm sunburned as well. Uh, back on the show, one half of the award-winning podcast tag team champions of the world, alongside the great Luke Thomas from Morning Combat, as well as your heart, Mr. Brian Campbell. BC, how are you? And uh, got the Portugal the Man shirt on. Shout out. You know, I got to represent the best damn ba- rock band in the world going on right now. And I just want to remind everybody that I'm also currently living rent free in Jed's mind like a squatter <laughs> in an outhouse. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to wash my hands either. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Jed has no response. All right. He's saving it. <laughs> How do you respond to squatter in an outhouse? I mean, that's, that's just how BC rolls coming in hot. Yes. Well, someone else who came in hot to Anaheim, California, Ilya Tuporia, the brand new featherweight champion of the world, goes in there against Alexander Volkanovsky. The fight was intriguing on paper. It was intriguing for the entirety of the bout, all eight or so minutes of it. 
first round was a it's kind of like a tale of three different rounds volk looked good taporia got some momentum volk saw something got some momentum back we head into round two volks seems to be picking up the pace a little bit seems to have gotten a read but you're also seeing taporia inch closer and closer to landing a big shot and then Volk's back hits the fence, and as soon as that happens, Taporia attacks, lands a big right hand, Volk goes to sleep, absolutely brutal knockout. Welcome to the Ilya Taporia era. What an era it is, BC. Ilya Taporia comes out and says, I'm gonna knock this dude out in the first and second round. I'm 15 and 0, I'm the featherweight champion long before he stepped into that cage to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Your reaction to the beginning of the Ilya Taporia era? Uh, crown him, as the as Dennis Green once said, because Ilya Tapora is exactly who Luke Thomas said he was, right? The next big thing who has arrived. And yes, his era has begun. Look, during fight week, like a lot of people, I didn't know what to make of Tapora's next level confidence of changing the social media bios to say champion of the sacrilege photos with the championship belt. It's like seeing the bride's dress the day of, right? But the thing is, he absolutely backed it up. And you mentioned it took a little bit of time, but I think even in that took a little bit of time as him and Volkanovsky played chess, what we saw is Volkanovsky was unable to trap Taporia into doing what he does so brilliantly to so many other dangerous strikers who may or may not be the toughest title defense he's faced yet. Remember Yair Rodriguez just recently, he was unable to force Taporia into a mistake. So what you saw from somebody who certainly had the power that we already knew coming in to be able to do something like this, but to see the poise and execution, I wondered all fight league. Like, like I said, if Ilya had bitten off more than he can chew, if like Ian Gary, he was trying a little too hard to follow certain elements of the McGregor playbook in terms of how to boldly announce yourself and then follow through on those bold assertions. But the thing that was most McGregor-like about his performance in the end was not the fact that his tattoo schemes do mimic Connors in kind of a weird cosplay type way. More that he did exactly what he said he would do and that he forced Volk to back up almost the entire fight, even while having some success in the opening round. So for this killer to be able to stay that poised, to be able to rely on his game planning and technique, and then be the one that forces Volk ultimately into the mistake that led to the big combination that set up obviously the finishing punch. Yeah, he's everything that he said he was, that any of his backers coming in. And this is that situation where as much as I am happy to be wrong, having picked Volk at 35 to break that curse of that age, welterweight and understat that Luke loves to throw around, I love to see somebody call their shot, step into it, deliver on a level higher than we thought. And now the question is how big of a star can Ilya Taporia become? Yeah, uh, there's no limitations because that performance – was dazzling and you add that to the run that he's had he's unbeaten at 15 and 0 he's rolled through competition in the UFC showing different parts of his game each time including that five round championship stamina he showed against Josh Emmett he didn't need it this time against Volkanovski but when the changing of power when the changing of hands atop a division after a long time happens you love for it to be with that much closure that definitive that's exactly what Taporia did announced himself he's here and i can't wait to see him against any of those hungry featherweights now that there's a new sheriff in town uh eye-opening performance to say the very least jed you were on the post fight show you reacted to this pretty quickly but it was also four o'clock in the friggin morning so maybe your mind wasn't as clear maybe you were a little tired 
We've had a few days to digest this championship earning victory from Ilya Taporia. What's your biggest takeaway now a few days later? It's what I said coming into that fight, which is pretty clear. Look, if Deporia wins, I didn't think he was. I, I picked Volk to win. But if Deporia wins, the conversation is going to be, oh, Alex came back too soon. And I said, I think that if he wins, that that'll be a bullshit conversation. I, I can't say definitively that the come, you know, the turnaround from the this Makachev KO is, is what did or didn't affect it. To me, I think that fight is determined not by Alex Volkanovsky's decision to return after a KO loss. It is determined by Ilya Teporia being the dude. And that be, this being the most difficult thing to do in all of MMA. I've said it a million times. I will say it a million more until everyone gets on board and recognizes the truth. The hardest thing to do in this sport is defend a belt over and over again, year after year. Because not only are you getting the best shot from every single contender, people who have prepared their entire lives for this moment, you're getting their best crack. You are not allowed to have an off night. You are not allowed to slip on a proverbial banana peel or even a real one. You've got to be perfect time in and time out. That's tough. But as you get there longer, as you become an Alexander Volkanovsky who has held the belt for three, four, five years, you're not just dealing with the best shot of guys from your generation you're dealing with the best shot of guys from the new generation. And the new generation has grown up in your shadow. They have grown up with you at the top of the mountain knowing this is the guy. Here's who I need to develop and build a style to beat. And if you hold on long enough, one of those guys is going to come up and take it from you. Ask Jose Aldo with Max Holloway. That's exactly what happened. Alex came kind of out of nowhere, did the same to Max, and now the same has happened to Alex. And it's not because he got jawed by Islam Makachev in October and turned back around. It's because Ilya Tapuria is the new breed of fighter, and this is a young man's game. And Alexander Volkanovsky is a terrific champion, one of the best of all time. But ain't nobody ever beaten Father Time, and nobody ever will. So, Jed, BC sort of mentioned it, and, and I'll have BC kind of dive a little more in depth of this in a moment, but... We knew we talked about this on last week's show. We asked if this is a win-win fight for the UFC because Volk has been a company guy, getting more popular with each fight, seemed to be over, playing into the gimmick of the old man Volk thing. And if you told me that Volkanovsky would be the star of the press conference, I probably would have laughed in your face. But in all, he was the star of the press conference. This is so you you said it's not a it's not a win-win. But it's a no-lose for the UFC. If Volk wins, it will, they wouldn't lose from it, but they could win huge if Ilya Teporia does win because of the star he can become. Obviously, they could tap into this new market. It's great to go to Spain. People seem to be very behind this. But worldwide, especially here in the United States, how big of a star do you think Ilya Teporia can be? Obviously, this is huge for the company, going in and tapping into that market where – you got athlete collabs like approaching a billion when you get all these people involved. But how big of a star can Ilya Teporia be? Not just in Spain, not just on that side of the world, but here as well. I mean, monstrously. Like he's, I said it in the, in the buildup, uh, he can be the next Conor McGregor. And maybe, maybe he doesn't quite get to Conor's level because 
you it is naturally disadvantaged disadvantageous to not have english as your primary language Elliot Tabury speaks english it's also i think his third language so some of what happens there is it's just going to be a little tougher for him to translate to the american market in quite the same way that connor did but He's already the biggest star in Europe that's not named Conor McGregor, like right now. Uh, BC's running man, Luke Thomas, uh, retweeted something from Danny Segura and then added on to it. But Ilya's the, on the cover of uh, Marsa Magazine, which is a Spanish publication that is basically exclusively soccer players. And this is sort of unparalleled ground for what is, is going to take shape here. He is going to be the biggest star in MMA in the European market. In, even including Connor, because Connor's not going to fight. Like so, Connor just kind of isn't really in that conversation anymore. He's going to be the biggest star there. I mean, probably already is. And he's twenty-seven. Like progression isn't linear in this sport. We never know what's going to happen. We don't know who. Maybe Mavsar Evlov just wrestles him for twenty-five minutes, and, and he doesn't get to put together a big run. But he has all the hallmarks of dudes like Jose Aldo. Max Holloway, Volkanovski, guys who, when they came to the belt, we said, all right, all right, this guy probably can hold the belt for a little bit. I don't see a clear guy to beat him out like right now, other than I am interested in the Max Holloway fight. And at 27, he's not hitting his actual like physical peak for another year. You know, he'll have his prime run for the next four or five years. He can put together some title wins, some defenses, continue to do everything he has done. He can be the biggest star in the company, like bar none. There's a the the promo he dropped before the fight showing all the Spanish legends across all of sports supporting him. That doesn't happen. Like that is not a thing that occurs in this sport for anyone. So I think he can be the biggest star in MMA if he keeps this up. Do you agree with that, BC? Do you think it could get that high that he becomes the biggest star in the sport, potentially? I do, I do. I do because of two things. One, the quality of the performance, and I say that because we've got a lot of guys who, if they pan out, could be the next big stars of the sport. Everybody from a Bo Nickel, even a Patty Pimlet, to even whoever, right? But the thing is, they've got to step into that cage against a reigning and defending champion, or in this case, against a Volk who was literally a living legend and an all-time great. And they've got to be able to deliver that type of performance. So we did that. Then you have the call out after, which I'll get to in a second. And it showed you the business acumen. But overall, I think what it comes down to is timing. Look, guys, the UFC's interests are divided at the moment. They seem to care a lot, a lot more about what they're doing with things like Power Slap and the TKO group and the merging with WWE and all that than necessarily putting the same type of hard-nosed effort into building up their stars, especially on U.S. soil, and any level of aggressive pay-per-view promotion. We know why. We know the ESPN deal. We know the areas in which they are really trying to max out financially. But one area where they were still motivated to be the Dana of old or the UFC machine of old is the invasion of countries that they've yet to take over and dominate. Obviously, Mexico getting a lot of attention. We're going to see Noche again at the Sphere in September. Obviously, one day they're going to kick the doors in in Africa and maybe sooner than later because of DDP. But Spain, the adopted country of Toporia, UFC has wanted this for a long time. The timing is so perfect of having not just somebody who can represent Spain, 
but somebody who was already connected to the major sports celebrities in that area. The soccer players that Luke Thomas is literally drooling about when he sees them show up at fights or tweet about uh, Toporia. And obviously, you know, Rafa Nadal and all the extended legends there of Spanish sport, they've embraced this guy as their own. Only the best part about Toporia's long-term star potential in marketing is he doesn't just represent that hotbed. He really comes from obviously a different country in terms of his ethnic lineage in Georgia, which is also having an MMA renaissance behind people like Marab Devalishvili. And then, of course, he is born in Germany, but doesn't really in almost the Luke Thomas like way where former Vox employee LT was born in India, but doesn't claim it because it was at an American embassy. Bro, you're from India. OK, this guy's from Germany, too. So where you're a man of all nations and you happen to speak one of the languages that aims at the market that they've been trying to cash in. No, not Spain, but Latin America in general, the timing is perfect. But the fighter's got to be able to sell himself, which Taporia can do. And in this case, it's not as the trash-talking troll, which is a new sort of trope we're seeing a lot in the development or maybe future development of UFC stars like a Colby Covington, like a Sean Strickland, although there's more elements to that character of what is hooking the average American at the moment. Taporia screams badass. From the tattoo setup to the way he carries himself to the beautiful Latin woman on his arm. Damn, now I know why LT's infatuated with this guy. But that's not my point. My point is this. This guy has all the goods now because we saw what he can do to a pound-for-pound great in Volkanovski. And because he had the perfect call out at the right time, I'm not saying that the fans necessarily wanted him to call out Conor McGregor. There's generally a grunt from hardcore MMA fans, rightfully so, about anyone once they win a big fight. The first thing they want to do is call out somebody in another weight class, become a two division champion or do something that's a power move in this game on how you get to the next level. But that is within the UFC, how you get to the next level, how you get that one percent pay, how you become a company loved brand and product calling out conor mcgregor in that moment considering that it's obvious that he idolized mcgregor you can see a lot of similarities in their rise in their game what's the best pro wrestling storyline that the ufc i hope at least is going to consider now mcgregor's got another topic another fight with chandler and another set of questions about why he isn't fighting but if you're the ufc and you believe in Taporia as much as you probably should right now because again the timing is perfect why wouldn't you at least entertain the idea of a legitimate handoff of power? We saw the handoff of power critically on a pound-for-pound pound divisional level from Volk to Taporia. What would be that handoff star power if they let those two get together? Again, no one's calling for it necessarily. You've got a long division of featherweight title contenders that are now hungry again. But if you want to get old school, if you want to build up stars from the start to the finish, this is a guy you can do it with. And as crazy as the McGregor callout is, it's actually pretty damn genius, and the UFC should probably at least consider it because oh this God. guy does, yes, have the good. <laughs> Bring it, Jed. Jed, I'm waiting for the response. I want it. This is just insane. This is just obviously <laughs> ridiculous. Like, what are we doing here? One, it doesn't matter what the UFC wants. Is Conor McGregor going to fight Ilya Taporia? No. There's no fucking chance. There's no chance in the world he would take that fight. One, he'd have to kill himself to get to 45, so they'd be doing it at 55. What's not doing you're it at 45, money, bro? They could Yeah, I know. But what's what's their game? He already said it. He said, I'll move up to the lightweight. Belt. I'll meet him there. Cool. What does Connor gain by fighting a featherweight at lightweight? Like, not even like that. That's ridiculous. And you're saying money? You think the UFC is going to pony up money? They couldn't offer up an extra couple of mil to get a real main event for UFC 300, which we'll talk about coming up. 
You think they're going to pay more money to get Connor versus Ilya? No fucking chance, man. Just they never, did it in Spain and they bought into it, Jen. You know it's true. If they bought into the idea that Taporia is the yeah. chosen one, if I had Luke wheels, Skywalker. I'd be a wagon. <laughs> yeah, if I had wheels, I'd be a wagon, BC. Ifs and buts, candies and nuts, we're all going to have a great Christmas. Never going to happen. It's ridiculous. It was a. I hated the call out because, like, it's it's just never going to happen. I understand the impetus behind it. Like, he's your star. You know, money marries bigger money. He's targeting the only bigger star than him that he realistically can, but it's just not going to happen. And so, it, it he was sort of left in a weird position where calling out anyone wasn't gonna work out that great for him. But it doesn't matter because he's 27, he kicks all the ass, and he's got a whole bunch of ass kickers to thump up with coming down. It's going to be sick whoever he fights next, whether it's Max, whether it's Yair Rodriguez, which we'll get going you know, with that this weekend, I'm sure. like There are a lot of great options for him. All of them are at 145, and we shouldn't be like, yes, let's – not even pursuing a second belt at 155, just the most transparent – vanity cash grab to fight old ass conor mcgregor who by the way is never fighting again we should all just come to terms with this it's okay he fought a lot it was great we all had a wonderful time now he's never going to do it again and we all just need to let that be why so jed ridiculous is it because he makes too much money or is it because they want to save yes. what's left of his contract for the new tv deal you tell me jed it's, it says he makes too much money. He, he's not going to want to fight. Look, BC, I use this uh, analogy somewhere else. Like, I would love to be as, as young and fit as I was in high school. Like, that would be sick. But to do that, I'm going to have to get up and, like, work my ass off every day. It's the same with Connor. He would like to fight someone in the cage for money. That would be fun. He wakes up and thinks, man, it'd be sick to fist fight somebody today. But then he thinks, oh, I'd actually have to get up and train two-a-days for three months. And that sucks shit when instead I can go yachting. Have you ever been yachting, BC? I don't know if they have any yachts at the gas stations. But it's pretty damn cold, <laughs> and I'm way rather go yachting. As a man in Florida right now, let me tell you, if my choices are, I can wake up and go on the boat, and it's beautiful. There's not a cloud in the sky outside. I'm looking at it right now. It's a gorgeous day. I can go enjoy that with my family, drink a bunch, or I can go to a gym to roll around with a bunch of poor people who are trying to come up through the struggle. I know which one I'm choosing. That's all I'm saying. Well, Jed – Obviously, you both your law degree and your sunscreen are getting used as much as my yacht at the moment. But I will tell you that why would Conor McGregor come back if they offered him a fight either in Spain or in Ireland against this man? And he knows it's an attempt to cash him out. And if they paid him enough, he'd be there with bells on. This has nothing to do with Conor not wanting to train two a days. This has everything to do with Conor knowing his value, the UFC not wanting to pay it. And maybe, just maybe, if you're into deeper conspiratorial theories, the whole idea of the new TV deal and wanting to force him to sit out so he doesn't run through his contract. Why? Because you won't stop hearing talks about him boxing Manny Pacquiao until both are in the grave. That's just the reality of it, okay? They need to keep him around a little bit more on their terms, not his. Let's get with it jet okay you realize that even though these promoters have a lot of money they lie all the damn time yes and conor mcgregor also lies all the damn time and you're the one who's hoping on i counted three ifs in that that situation you provided that's a lot of ifs that's a lot of ifs for i'm providing one what if he wakes up and is like i'd rather be on my boat 
I got to tell you, I think my situation is much more plausible. Chad, if you believe that Conor McGregor has not fought yet since breaking his leg against Dustin Poirier in their trilogy because he's not motivated to do a training camp, then I've got a great new idea for a sport for you. It's huge in India, and it's called Power Slap. <laughs> is it is Power Slap big in India? Sorry, I'm going to get distracted by that. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, he could – let's get Conor into Power Slap. That'd be fine. Sure. I think Connor just – I think Connor would come back to fight somebody if it was somebody he wanted to fight. I don't think he has any interest in fighting Ilya Taporia, and he has no interest in fighting Michael Chandler because why would he have interest in fighting either of them? One of them sucks, and the other one's a featherweight who just became champion and would kill him. It's just – no. If Nate Diaz is under contract, Connor might be coming back. Until that happens, Connor's not coming back because why would he want to? I saw him say he would be back against Michael Chandler in June. There's intention there, okay? There's intentionality. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe <laughs> half of last year he was coming back in November. Yeah, we're targeting Madison Square Garden. Yeah, we're going to come back by the end of the year for sure. Timeline keeps getting pushed. I'm just the one who's not falling for it in perpetuity. Okay, okay. All right. I will say this before we move on. Um, I like Jed hated the call out initially, but then I went back and rewatched it. And there was a part of it where I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I kind of liked it more because especially, I think Michael Chandler put it over the top for me. Cause he shows he gets a live microphone on raw and he stands up on a chair and he's screaming and yelling and he's putting the whole thing over. Ilya Taporia, the last thing on his mind in that moment was Conor McGregor. It was almost like a dismissive call out. Just like, yeah, this is great. I won the belt. Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter I've ever been in the cage with. Like, this is the greatest day. Oh, yeah, by the way, Conor grows some balls. I'll see him in Spain. And then he just beat feet out of the octagon. It was like the last afterthought. It wasn't a full promo. He just kind of planted a seed and was like, I don't even care about this guy, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. I liked it for that sense. Didn't love it, but I liked it a little bit more with that. But when you have a fight like this, you have a moment, a man in Ilya Tapori who's crowned, Champion of the world, BC. What a moment it was for him. Exercise of the demons, rose petals everywhere. Whole family wearing black suits and wardrobe. And you mentioned the girlfriend. Like the guy's just living the dream. Looks like a star right now. Then you have Alexander Volkanovsky. One in three in his last four. He's been brutally knocked out in two consecutive fights. This was one of the nastiest knockouts you'll ever see from Ilya Taporia. And when moments like this happen in the sport, BC... We start to talk about legacies, where Izzy's legacy was after he lost to Pereira. I think it's more of a conversation after he lost to Sean Strickland. Volk's legacy in people's eyes took a hit after two losses to Islam, especially the second one. But as long as he had the featherweight title, I think it all was intact. And the UFC and all their broadcasts kept saying in the building to this fight and previous others, the consensus greatest featherweight of all time. So fighters losing the sport. We have the curse of the 35 and over. All these things factor against Volk, not to mention he had an incredible title reign leading into this loss to Ilya Taporia. What does this do for Volk's legacy? Where does he go now? What changes in your mind, if anything, when it comes to how you view Alexander Volkanovsky, his featherweight run, if he never does get back to the belt? 
Yeah, I, I don't think this is a disastrous loss for his legacy. This is uh, the the food chain of MMA when we feed our old to the young and eventually sometimes the only way to find out if somebody has passed that or the person that's challenging them is ready for it is to put them in together. So I'm glad this fight took place. He's 35, but he's still one of the best fighters in the world. Yeah, three losses in four fights, one on two weeks notice, right? two of the three against the best fighter in the world right now. And then the other one against a guy who just air, leaped into the pound for pound discussion and is now in consideration for the next breakout star that shows you that he's only fighting, obviously the super elite, although they play up for the broadcast, whenever someone's fighting, whatever their place or role is either in their divisions, history or the sport. Alexander Volkanovsky is one of the greatest fighters that's ever stepped foot in any fighting surface that's called mixed martial arts. There's no question about that. Whether you love the the, the legacy of Jose Aldo or, or what Holloway did or not, it's not crazy or incorrect necessarily to call him the greatest lightweight of all time. And let's look at the accomplishments, right, in terms of the title defenses. Didn't get to where Jose was, but look at the consecutive names of killers that he not only beat, right? but that he dissected leading into this fight. Uh, the fact that he made Jose Aldo almost content to just wait out the clock in round three because he was so bamboozled when they fought. He's been able to go through every single featherweight champion in UFC history with the exception of Conor McGregor. Whether or not he wants to hang on and fight a lot more or just a little or what have you, I think he still has it to win some big fights. I think he can linger for a little bit in search of that if he wants. He's got three victories over Max Holloway. And Max Holloway, last time I checked, is still one of the best 13 fighters in the world right now. This guy's still got it. This doesn't take him out of any discussions. Maybe it slows down where his inevitable ending landing will be once he does retire. And I say slow down because let's not forget that just a couple fights ago when he lost the first fight to Mahachev, there was a large population that thought he should have gotten the decision. I wasn't one of them, but there was enough in a close fight in which he performed great and was the fighter peaking at the end of that fight in round five in top position against the guy who's now the best fighter in the world. Uh, it's not that long ago that that took place. He's still that guy to a good degree. I would be careful in how he bounces back in terms of the time because you can't you can't look past that those the not only the quick turnaround to lose to Mahachev in the rematch, but an equal you know an equally quick in some ways even though he was able to squeeze in the full camp to come right back against a killer like Taporia. I'd like to see him take a little bit of time off, reset, go back to to the drawing board, continue to evolve his great game. But he is somebody that not only has the accomplishments. But really him and his team of coaches, whether it's CKB or whether it's Joe Lopez, when they put their brains together, they, they, they pushed the sport forward during his time on top. That does matter. It really does. He was a consistent pay-per-view brand on top. He's still one of the all-time greatest. It's just a different conversation a few fights ago where had he beaten Mahachev there in that close decision to become a two-division champion, suddenly that ceiling gets a little bit larger. Uh, are his best days behind him? Yes. I don't think that means he's going to be uh, out of big fights, though, moving forward. Jay, what do you think about this? Because, you know, it's you, you see it already. Like, if you go on Twitter and start searching around since Saturday, you see it. Volk was never that good to begin with. His title reign was boring, which if you if your big takeaway from UFC 298 was that, oh, thank God Volk's title reign is over. It was so boring. Then you obviously have not watched the sport since he won the belt because every one of his fucking title defenses were awesome. Whether he won or just a fight of the year contender, every one of his title defenses were frigging great. They were awesome. But this is just how this sport 
works. It chews you up and spits you out even on your worst days. And people have revisionist history about what you have accomplished after you suffer a couple of losses. So what does this loss do for the legacy of Alexander Volkanovsky in your opinion? It hurts him. I, maybe it doesn't hurt him directly in that he's still a bona fide top 15 fighter of all time. Like that, that can't really be taken away from him at this, at this juncture, but this is what I've been trying to tell you guys for most of the Volkanovsky run. This is what me and BC argued about just vociferously at one of these previous iterations is, yeah, he's the greatest of all time now. Right now, he's the greatest of all time because we have the memory of goldfish in this sport and because we forget that as soon as you lose, it all changes. The narrative changes. Everything gets gets reevaluated, recontextualized. And then you think, oh, and BC did it to Jose Aldo. BC sat on this was like, no, Jose Aldo, what? Nine title defenses don't mean shit. Burr, 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 burr. Like, no. And we don't, we shouldn't do it to Alexander Volkanovsky. He is one of the greatest fighters of all time. But this, I said coming in, and I still believe this firmly, this was the big fight for him. Title defense number six, the first truly against the new generation. You can argue, and I'm at least open to the idea that Yair Rodriguez is of the newer generation, but I think that he's still more more in that, you know, Brian Ortega sort of side of things. This is this is it. The longest reigning, the greatest champions in this sports history have done five years on top, and they have beaten the generation that came before them, their generation, and gotten wins over the next generation of challenger. That is how it's worked. And this was Volk's opportunity to get title defense number six and to legitimately enter the conversation as the greatest featherweight of all time. And he lost, and it sucks for him. And it's probably because he's old, like right? Because honestly... Prime Volk probably does better, probably doesn't get knocked out like as easily, can offer more. Maybe not. Maybe Taporia is just that dude. We'll find out in time with him. But it it hurts his legacy, and it, it shouldn't. It is unfair that it does. But that is the sport that we choose to follow and that he chose to operate and, and compete in. And so unless he comes back and beats Taporia and then reclaims the belt, maybe gets one more after, maybe he can you know take the narrative back. But we just never see that happen. And instead, what we see is a man who some people like to say chased greatness by going up to lightweight. To me, I said, man, like that would have been cool. Would have been a lot cooler if instead of going up and losing to Zamakachev, maybe you pick up a title defense over Ronald Allen. Maybe you add more to build that legacy and really have yourself legitimately as the greatest featherweight of all time. And instead, he's lost a lot with some of these gambles. And I hope he continues to fight. Like I hope he sticks around for a while because he's still one of the very best fighters to watch and enjoy. But I, I don't think there's any way that it did not hurt his legacy to to lose and to lose in that fashion. Because if Conor McGregor doesn't get 13 – or if Jose Aldo doesn't get 13 seconds by Conor McGregor, I believe everyone is much more understanding of him being the true goat at featherweight. But because there is a 13-second clip and him being on the floor like that – People can forget it and say, oh, he can't be the best look at him. And now that's going to happen to Volk, and that sucks. Well, Jed, if I can interject, Michael, just quickly to Please. correct, uh, clean up on Isle Mashu. Uh, it wasn't just the 13-second KO. He was beaten and stopped twice by Max Holloway, again, the same guy who lost three sure times to Alexander Volkanovsky. So it, uh, it's a little and, bit more than if, what you're saying. Yeah, and if Volk, 
I mean, Volk's lost three of his last four fights, and if he hangs around, he fights Tapuria again. I would also pick Tapuria to do the exact same thing. Suddenly, he's been knocked out three in a row. And okay, now now at that point, then it is like, hey, maybe your chin isn't there anymore. Maybe you've taken too much damage, too much tread is off the tires. Maybe suddenly you're Tony Ferguson. We we judge fighters by their in a, it, it is unfair. We judge fighters by their inability to walk away at the optimal times. Habib well, is I'm the only judge... dude basically who got to leave at a good time. Jedman, I'm going to judge some of these things in hindsight potentially different than your mind will allow you right now. Because while you and Luke Thomas by proxy were very critical of his decision to take that short notice opportunity against Volkanovski, even though I can argue from a sporting sense, he realized, he realized it's probably the only time they can make that fight really work given how hot both divisions are for their champions. His reveal in the aftermath of, uh, in, in comments from his team about how big of a financial reward they received for that and how the UFC basically made it a no-brainer, right? Because of the pressure to keep a main event as strong in, in, in the Middle East as they did for that, to roll out the red carpet and just make it happen no matter what. He may have secured his financial future for the future for that decision. And in that regard, you do have to ask yourself, is it worth a little bit of hit on the ceiling of his resume to try to at least make what he deserves as a top guy. I mean, Henry Cejudo just fought for 150,000 in his 14th UFC fight as a returning two division champion. Like that's where we're at. Dana can brag all he wants that Putin paid Habib 20 million after he beat Connor, but this is what Dana wants. It's why he won't sanction his fighters for hanging out with Kadyrov. He loves the idea that there's crazy people out there that'll pay these people what he doesn't have to or want to. So keep that information in your skull bone there, Jed. Quote oh, the quote the if, VC. If, if this didn't come more. across, I want to be clear. I actually don't think Alexander Volkanovsky ever made a bad choice career-wise. I under like he followed the incentives appropriately. Absolutely, he should have taken that as a marketer fight for the money. But money and legacy are two different things. And by taking the money, you know that there is the risk to these other things. He's a big boy, knows the road. Like I'm sure that he understood what was happening here. But it would be disingenuous for us to just be like, well. He got paid more money, so we should not factor this into the other aspects of it. But we are going to factor in all the other things like Conor McGregor, 13 seconds, and Jose Aldo and stuff. It's just This is just all part of the conversation. And again, it sucks because what we should actually judge Alexander Volkanovsky by is his four-year run at the top with five title defenses and being the pound-for-pound best fighter in the sport for that period of time and looking like one of the most dominant athletes the sport's ever seen. But uh, I say to you again – if I had wheels, I'd be a wagon. That's not how we judge things. And sometimes that's just what's up. Yeah. Mike, do you think if he had shorter hair, he'd be a practicing lawyer? Or am I getting too personal among friends here? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he'd be I, a professional golfer. I got to not. watch him play some golf yesterday. He just, he just hit the ball really well. yesterday. <laughs> you were, you were hitting was, the ball well yesterday. Well, I mean, that's the main event, and there was a lot of other things that happened at UFC 298, so we're going to clean up after this past Saturday's event and then move on to the future, but the point for round one goes to... It's not my choice. It's not your choice. It's the Super Chatter's choice. It is BC. It is one to nothing. Nice job. Great round, though. I mean, I'm telling you. Just. Has there ever been a sweep in this show's history? Five, five nil? No. And I don't think uh, so. 
Right. I can assure you it's not going to happen today, even if somebody super chats $23,000. So, uh, the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. All right. I wanna, so I want to assure you, if someone super chats that money, I will concede. I will walk away right now. Your moves. Your move, <laughs> chat. Your move. Let's clean up the rest of UFC 298. Let's do, uh, you know, some superlatives. The end of every year, you know, you have all these different awards you get in the yearbook. So we're going to play uh, a little superlative game for UFC 298. And Jed, we'll begin with you. We're obviously not talking about the main event because we just talked about the main event for 40 minutes. So you can go with this however you want. If you say somebody, BC can say something different. You guys can both say the same person. I don't care. Main card MVP of UFC 298, not named Ilya Teporia. Come on, man. This isn't even a contest. It's Marab Dalashvili. Like, by any metric, reasonably, it's Marab Dalashvili coming in this. Like, we talked about this fight ahead of it. And we're like, look, I, I get it. I think this is a good fight for Marab. This makes sense. Hopefully, it will get him a title shot. But... Not sure, because if Sean O'Malley wins, why would he ever agree to fight Marab? Like, that's, that's a horrible style matchup for him to fight Marab. It's going to be really bad news. If Cheeto wins, he'll Cheeto would fight anyone, so that's okay. But, like, then you're really hoping. And then you're also hoping that they don't run it back, Cheeto, O'Malley, three for reasons unknown, or or Corey Sandhagen jumps in there. But Marab came in, looked so good against Henry Cejudo, retired Henry Cejudo for us, so really just did a, a wonderful uh, – uh, accomplishment for the whole sport in that regard and now you've got sean o'malley coming out today posted a video uh somewhere being like yeah okay i thought i wanted to beat cheeto and then fight Ilya Teporia because i thought that was what the fans wanted everybody is telling me that actually i should just fight marab if i win so marab's up next marab valashvili went from being the uncrowned champion, the guy who got passed over unrightfully for a title shot, and now might be, you know, Bilal Muhammad, when's he going to get his crack to, yeah, the current champion of the weight class is saying he's going to get his next crack. The crowd is all the way behind him. The fan base has swelled to support this dude, and he's not going to be a major star, but he's going to get his day in court, and I got to tell you, he's probably going to win the motherfucker. So it has to be Marab Falashvili. BC, I mean, look, Jed's not wrong, but the question isn't necessarily whose stock rose the most throughout fight week, because that's clear, Marab. And if you want to give Marab the MVP of the main card, not named Ilya Teporia for the performance and him having a conversation with Mark Zuckerberg while he's trying to body slam a dude, two-time Olympic gold medalist, that's pretty damn cool. But is it Marab for you or is it somebody else? 
Good try on Marab. Obviously, it's Mark Zuckerberg for everything you just said right there. I mean, the UFC has been trying to force this guy who's reading all of our emails right now and is an absolute dork with huge John DuPont Foxcatcher vibes. Not only are they trying to get him a fight, they're trying to normalize him in front of our eyes. Obviously, I'm joking here. Look, it's Marab with a bullet for everything Jed said, but also even further. It's like, you know, I rarely get predictions right, but when I looked at the landscape for 2024, who's most likely going to be the fighter of the year? It is the uncrowned champion, Marab. So to see him take that first step and and then to, to Cejudo's credit, actually go through some adversity. Cejudo landing that sneaky counter left hook in the exact same manner which Jose Aldo did for Marab. But to see Marab bounce back from that very close round and then go in full dominance mode, but also showcase full showman mode for a guy who whose English is not his first language, but he's made a nice adjustment. He's got one of the best hilarious personalities in this entire UFC. And he got to showcase that in his breakthrough biggest win to date. Three consecutive victories over former champions in the sport's deepest division is no joke, even if one of those three, Aldo, had won it in a division higher. And now he's going to be fighting for the championship. Yeah, no wonder why uh, why Sugar Sean would want to entertain the idea of a all, you know, a big opportunity against Tupori in which he really wouldn't lose much if he's going to lose because I don't typically make the type of things that, you know, Luke Thomas said before this fight that Tuporia is the next champion. But Marab is the next champion in waiting here in the sports best division. What a breakthrough performance. 33 years old, peak of his physical and mental primes coming together. And the best thing is he doesn't have to worry about being a bad friend anymore because his great friend and teammate Aljo no longer holds that belt, but there's an even bigger star who has that. So it's, it couldn't be more perfect for Marab in this circumstance, in this situation, but obviously Robert Whitaker resetting himself at 33, almost guaranteeing, not, not guaranteeing one more shot at the middleweight title, but keeping himself in a, heated competitive maybe on track 185 to be the most exciting division in terms of top end fights this year boy was he able to get a big win when he needed it but he did have to walk through hell how much did old old bobby knuckles pour out in order to hold serve in this division because he got a costa who gave him probably the most uh intentional studied prepared version of himself up to date but still being as dangerous and crazy as ever costa Big win for Whitaker, big ability to step forward. I want to see him in many big fights, whether it's an inevitable title rematch against DDP, who smothered him last year and Jed picked it out and called it, by the way, or if it's got a non-title trilogy against Adesanya, you can almost main event a pay-per-view. I want to see it so bad. I am one of those people who still think Whitaker beat Izzy in the rematch and no one wants to talk about it anymore. Similar to Gilbert Burns versus Hamza, but that's just me. But uh, yeah, big fights to come for Robert Whitaker, and I was happy to see it because like Volk, I don't throw around the idea of the title of living legend too often. Those two are living legends, all-time greats who still have it up to a certain level. For Robert Whitaker, it was enough to pass this tough test. Bobby Knuckles, I think, is going to be one of those guys we look back on years later as just the low-key warrior pound for pound of the UFC like just he's such a fascinating guy nicest person you'll ever talk to but then when his music hits and he starts walking he looks like a fucking demon and then he fights just like one too so what a fight against Paul Costa the choices are endless for Whitaker you could do Whitaker Hamzad Whitaker Strickland Whitaker Usman Whitaker DDP Whitaker Izzy so many ways we could go at this Let's move on to the next category. BC, who is the low-key MVP of UFC 298? Who's the sixth-player award, if you will? Sixth-player award winner. 
it, it's weird and I'll get clowned for this and Jed will probably make fun of me, but in a weird indirect way, it might be Ian Gary. And I know that this lo- this win is being almost viewed as a loss or, or, or a too safe or boring survive in advance. But in a lot of ways, what Ian Gary needed most was not only to continue wielding, winning and building his win streak, but to kind of change this narrative off of like, who's sleeping in your house these days? And are you actually a cuck? No, I mean, that's what people were talking about. I don't give a damn about that in reality. I did want it to get it back to his fighting. And even though he didn't take that step forward and rightfully deserves some level of credit, because if you're going to act like McGregor, follow him with the same dance and reveal that he's your idol, you got to deliver with McGregor like performances after you talk all that game. Instead, this turned out to possibly be a tougher than expected matchup for him. Obviously we all respect Jeff Neal and the danger he brings But more than anything else, he accomplished the two things he needed to do, win and survive in advance, and two, at least shift the narrative away from that ridiculousness and get it back to the fighter himself. I don't think even with the questions and and some of the, again, rightful critiques you could give of that performance, uh, I don't think it's irreparable. I think this is a very good fighter. It's not Conor McGregor. No one's Conor McGregor, right? And he might not even be as explosive of a potential finisher at the elite level that you would want for somebody that so willingly talks that level of game. But you need fights like this. You need experiences like this. And you need to get the W, most importantly, in wins like this. I remember flipping out like crazy when Jan Blahovic had that five-round main event with Jacare to try to finally announce himself as a true title contender. And he won a boring decision just barely but it didn't stop him in the long run on his content on his eventual build. The low key MVP is just the fact that Gary did what was most important. He'll fix the rest as he continues to grow and get older. I'm becoming more and more a believer, by the way, in his mentality and skill set. He's not there yet. Obviously you saw that by that performance, but I actually think he's closer than I realized coming in. If you're going to try to compare him to anyone else, like a Patty, for example, who seems to still be more hype than actual product, the product of Gary is getting there. And I don't know if everyone realized that while spending all that time rightfully saying, hey, man, you didn't finish him. You really didn't try for the finish. You really kind of just backdoored that victory. But there are elements to build around in there. And that's why you have me on this show every third Thursday. <laughs> Jed, one, who's your low-key MVP? And two, are you going to give BC shit for picking him Machado Gary? I'm not going to give him shit big picture because I agree with a lot of what he's saying. I do think it's an incredible spend zone to be like Ian Gary is a winner because he got people to stop talking about his living situation and his wife and et cetera. And instead start talking about his shitty fight and how much they hate him as a fighter. That's quite a spin zone, but I do agree with the rest of what BC said. Like I think Ian Gary's this was an important win for his career or whatever and how that advances. And he's going to be good for a long time. He's young. Uh, It's not the MVP, though, because I have eyeballs and I watched that fight and that fight sucked ass. Uh, So by no definition is he anyone's MVP of that card. Half half of the like pro fighters who reacted thought he should have lost, which is also insane. Uh, The MVP of the card, I think you had two choices. I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit because, you know, why work harder? You can work smarter. It's Anthony Hernandez. Fluffy's the real deal. This dude came out and, I mean, again, just had a dynamite fight. Uh, I think it's, it's fourth submission in a row, something like that. Finally gets himself ranked, beats Roman Kopilov, and does it in style, Mike Heck. Locks in the choke, and while he's got it, he's doing the Nate Diaz, like, 
what's up? I got it. And apparently, because he went on the MMA hour yesterday, the reason he was doing that is because staring across the cage, he saw Mario Lopez, AC Slater himself in the crowd, losing his mind in celebration. He's like, hell yeah, AC Slater's on my back. I got this guy. Let's go and choke the life out of him. So the answer is obviously Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who is like a legitimate dark horse in the middleweight division at this point. Shout out to the varsity letterman, multiple sport varsity letterman at Bayside High School that out there in California. It's so funny the difference. Like Zuckerberg is like in the broadcast. He becomes like the puff daddy of UFC 298. Mario Lopez, who's an even bigger star, is just sitting in the back, flying under the radar, having a conversation with Anthony Hernandez, cheering him on for the icon one of the more iconic moments. And we didn't even know Mario Lopez is involved. Why are we talking about Musk versus Zuck? When we should be talking about Zuck versus AC Slater. Oh, can Zuck's jujitsu handle the wrestling prowess of Bayside High's number one wrestler? I don't think so, personally. <laughs> I've watched it by the well. I saw I saw his ability to hit that duck under and finish a suplex. Suplex in high school wrestling? Come on, baby. It's AC Slater all day. Ask Nedic. Ask Nedic where his wrestling career went after that. Terrible night for him. Nedek had no they, chance. And Nedek was a no state chance. champion, Mike. State champion. Out, outweighed Slater by probably 30 pounds. Just bullying people around the high school scene. AC Slater <laughs> just bodied him up. Come on. Oh, this is great. I could do this all day long. Go nostalgic TV. Uh, last award we're going to give away. So impressed you pulled Nedek out of your ass. That was <laughs> Ah. My wife, my wife would not be surprised. I have an elephant's brain when it comes to dumb shit that nobody else cares about. It's unbelievable. I, I could have uh, never come up with Nedek's name. I can picture him, but never the name. Great Paul. Yeah, he, he had bitch tits. Can we say that on this show? <laughs> yeah, but he was the dominant force in California State High School wrestling. He had like 80 pounds on Slater, but that's not a here nor there. No weight classes in the Bayside, California League. But last one, uh, most likely to succeed from the prospect side, Jed Mishu. Which prospect stole the show, warmed your heart, who you're like, man, I just want to watch this guy fight forever. You can take this however you want. Either it's just going to be like a guy I have to watch every time he fights, future champion, Who's the most likely to succeed from UFC 298? So uh, I'll keep it brief and say the future champion most likely to succeed is Junior Nakamura because he's real good. Like he real, real good. And he busted his hand like immediately in the fight. Carlos Vera is a real weird opponent. And he still wasn't the most exciting thing, but he 30-27 his ass. Uh, that kid is a future star and probably future title challenger, I would guess, if, if not an outright champion of Bantamweight. Um, just an unbelievable talent. But I mean, come on. There's a get or get got all star on here. There were a couple of them on this card, but one man won the battle of the get or get got all stars. His name is Zhang Ming Yang. China got themselves a light heavyweight banger. Is he good? I'm not really sure about that. Is he fun? I'm absolutely certain. He's going to come out there. He's going to chuck him, and people are going to fall over. More often than not, it'll be his opponents, as Brinson Hibero found out. That fight was fun as hell for all minute and 30 seconds or whatever it lasted. And if you've seen any of of, of Zhang and Yang fight, like that, you're kind of getting that every time out. This dude is going to be a violence all-star moving forward. So like, he's going to win this in my heart. BC, do you agree? Is it 
Zhang Mingyang, who had a great performance, but maybe the worst call out in UFC history? Was it Randy Nakamura for this down or was it somebody else? It's so fucking bad. No, because I don't think it translates because it's coming like through a translator. To me, it felt like I I read that as entirely a joke, like that he's just messing around, like he knows it's not going to happen. But because it's being done in a separate language, it doesn't work. I thought it was adorable. Maybe. Uh, yeah, those are good picks. Have Mercier on this new Oban Elliot. He was decent. He didn't blow me away. I got to go into the women's fights here. Am I the only one that watches women's fights? Uh, Miranda Maverick went from like maybe a possible future bus to maybe a journey woman to, Hey, I've won four out of five and I'm starting to completely round out my game, beating that version of Andrea KGB Lee at 35 and on a losing streak doesn't stamp your passport as the next title contender. But Miranda Maverick came on at the same time as a few other of these potential future new Rouseys who are never going to live up to that type of billing but she's taken a couple losses and gone back to the drawing board and seemingly combined the idea of her good ground game with an improving striking game. She's gotten into world-class shape and she seems to be in this division starting to crawl closer to the top here with four wins in her last five. It was interesting to see. Um, I don't understand the whole, there's a new sheriff in town. Let me steal somebody's already bad gimmick and wear it to the cage and wear it on the walk. But then again, we've seen that before. Um, but this is a fighter who's really starting to put it together. And you like to see that when somebody comes in right away with a little bit of flash and then, you know, goes through the meat grinder of the realities of the sport. Uh, she's becoming a threat in this division. And I didn't hate that. So thank you. That's my uh, that's what I had to say for this question. And I provided you a decent answer. It was a very good one. Very good answer. Uh, shout out to poor Danny Barlow, who basically annihilated Josh Clinton with, with one arm through most of that fight. I don't know if you guys saw the x-rays dude shattered his forearm in the first round and then went out and violently finished Josh Quinlan, who was too tough for his own good. But his post speech was incredible. Did it you was. guys know that Memphis is here to stay? Cause I did. Yeah. <laughs> Memphis, we're here. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Any rocks. Yes. Let's move on. We're, we're actually going to be swapping some things around here because we got a little bit of breaking news. Depends on who you actually believe, but we're going to talk about it anyways. The point for round two goes to. Not the guy who picked Miranda Maverick on trail lead. <laughs> Jed Bichu, it's one to one. One to one. I don't, like, I, look, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It wasn't even the best women's fight on the card. It wasn't about the best women's fight on the card. It was about the low-key MVP. Yeah, like, Mandel Lemos just fought for the, the belt. The MVP be- is the- yeah, well, it's most likely to succeed. Always. This is the most likely to succeed award. This is the youngster on the come up. Mendelemo has know been up there already. I know in your hometown they don't believe in suffrage, but can you give the women a chance? The future is female also in the UFC. I have been believing in McKinsey Durham to my monetary detriment for years now, and I won't stop anytime soon. Well, she won. Did I don't know if anyone told her she didn't win yet. Did you see that? All right. Sorry. There you go. Fair. Well, we have fights this weekend, gentlemen. We have UFC Mexico City. We have PFL versus Bellator champs. And I think if we played the game of if you could only watch one event, what would it be? I think this is a pretty easy one to answer. I think there's going to be a lot more fun to be had. At UFC Mexico City, there are, I guess, some things happening with PFL Bellator Champs card, which is 
crumbling a little bit. All the really good, compelling stylistic matchups have all fallen apart. They're trying to replace them. But we have big time stakes, apparently, in the main event of PFL versus Bellator, champs versus champs. Ryan Bader, Henan Ferreira are going to battle not only for this super title, the champ champ status, but apparently, BC, the winner of this fight will fight Francis Ngannou in a mixed martial arts bout. So, two questions. One, your reaction to this news. This is by the PFL. And two, do you believe this at all? Do you believe that Francis Ngannou will be fighting one of these two gentlemen within the next year, let's say? Okay, I will say I do believe it because the the biggest issue outside of getting Ngannou in some type of mixed rules thing under the PFL banner, which was talked about to a certain degree for Deontay Wilder. But again, when you're Francis Ngannou and you actually might be one more, you know, great performance or upset win away from actually fighting for a boxing world title and you can make that kind of money, why do it? But I do think there is an element of him wanting to be a man of his word and will, will have at least one MMA fight under the PFL banner this year and, and it will be a big pay-per-view. And the thing is, the winner of this fight was probably going to be the best choice anyway, as with the loser. These are really two of the only choices that really make a lot of sense, unless they were able to scour the free agent market for whatever remaining aging former heavyweight contenders with names. Think of Junior Dos Santos, who, when he signed that exclusive deal with the Masvidal Bare Knuckle Federation there, I was initially thinking, what the hell are you doing? You would have, you probably would have been Francis Ngannou's first opponent there. I mean, good God, Fedor's back training. He wants Mike Tyson and uh, so in Ghana, so I hope we don't see that. But if this is real, if this is really going to happen, yeah, it makes sense because he would have fought one of those guys anyway. But I do like it because here's the biggest criticism you would have had of this card this weekend. It is a pretty damn good card. It's kind of intriguing. But will it die on the vine on pay-per-view? Probably because there's really nothing at stake, right? And there's really there's really no a-level star power that would demand if, if Ngannou was the main event of this card that's a-level star power it would demand it it is having the potential to be a pay-per-view that dies but it kicks off and announces such an ambitious period for the pfl that i do think it's important to have something else on there a little extra cheddar on there because these title holders facing each other is for bragging rights and in the first press conference a month ago the broadcast really tried to to play into that rivalry that unfortunately and I'm a PFL supporter. Unfortunately, no one cares. No one's going to care who's the better fighters between PFL or Bellator. The titles aren't even at stake. They can have Sean O'Connell and Chael Sonnen go back and forth with insults. And it was fun to a certain degree. But nobody really cares. This is a glorified all-star game, but I will say a fun one. Because even with some of those matchups falling apart, there's some odds and ends potential car wrecks that I want to see. But there's nothing at stake and there's no true A-lister leading this card to at the very least put Francis hopefully in the building, although I know he's living and training uh, in the Middle East ahead of this fight in Saudi Arabia against Francis Ngannou, I'm sorry, against uh, Anthony Joshua in a few weeks. But to really hammer home that we have Francis, these are our plans, and here's the winner of this super fight between reigning champions to show you that. It's probably a strong move, but it's the only move that they seem to have right now. So, yes, I think Francis fights in this calendar year. I think it would have been against the winner of this anyway, because if it's Fajeda, at least you've got a young rising fighter, just won their million dollars in a championship. He's 6'7", he's athletic, and he's a little bit different. And even though they put a microphone in front of Ryan Bader's face, and that certainly would be a decent level of star power if he fought in Ghana. And I know every time he says, yeah, man, love it. This is the goal. You don't want to go anywhere near Ngannou, as nobody really should right now. 
unless you want to play up the idea that Engano hasn't had a fight in MMA in a really long time and is pushing 40. So maybe it's not going to be that bad of a, of a situation. Both of these guys are okay opponents when you consider what they actually have. It will have to be a pay-per-view because that's what Francis' name will demand. I think this is PFL doing the best they can, but don't don't mix what I'm saying here. I'm supporting their swing that they're going to take here because I want competition. We all do. The best time ever in pro wrestling was the 90s when there was real competition. There were times when Strikeforce had a damn video game in a heavyweight tournament that made me think like maybe they could compete. They are trying to actually compete. Whether this idea or plan to have four streams of income and four divisions within your whole banner and one of them isn't even called bell or pfl it's called the bellator international champion series which then you question is a bellator champion as good as a pfl oh that's why we're having this pay-per-view because they're going to fight each other see it's a kind of convoluted but it's important to see what this first step says about this year because this is the make or break year for the pfl they have not hid their intentions they want to take over the top spot and be legitimate competition for the global leader in this space i'm surprised they got a new deal with espn they're competing with somebody under the same banner but this is probably their best move to at least make you try to care. I just don't think this pay-per-view will sell well, even though I kind of like the idea. I just don't think it should be the first pay-per-view of the year. And good luck to anybody on this card, including Impa Kasangane, who's already committed to the tournament, which regular season, which starts in April. It's going to be a year of quick turnarounds for these guys, but that's the path they chose. They probably should have combined all of those together in one roster. Luke Thomas is probably right. I'll shut up now. Jed, we got stakes here. We got some stakes. Francis Ngano waits in the wings. At least that's what they're telling us. But let's be honest. If Francis Ngano goes out there and beats Anthony Joshua, he ain't fighting either of these two guys because he's going to keep boxing and making lots and lots and lots of money. So your reaction to this light at the end of the tunnel potentially for one of these main eventers and does it make you more interested in this card knowing that Francis, at least from a promotional aspect, is awaiting the winner of this main event? It does not because the PFL says it, but because I think this, I don't know if this has really been sort of gotten across here since this happened while we recorded Francis himself has said it. He went on sports center and announced uh, he, he was a little cagier from what I'm reading. I obviously didn't get to watch it because we're doing this seemed to be a little cagier about when it would happen, but went on sports center and announced that he is anticipating fighting the winner of this weekend's contest. Uh, and it seems like probably sometime this year. Now, you're also right, Mike. He goes out there and he beats Anthony Joshua. I think we might want to reevaluate some of the things previously being said. Some choices may be made. But if he loses, I think he is going to lose. If he goes out there and loses, then yeah, I at this point, I would expect to have him back. I did not. And that that's why this has made this more interesting because I – have been on several programs and said, I don't think Francis Ngannou is fighting in MMA in 2024. So I thought he was going to get this. He got this Joshua fight. He, you know, depending on how things shake out with Fury and Usyk and how that goes down, there is a Fury rematch waiting. At some point, that is there to be had. Both parties would be interested. That's pretty obvious, sort of regardless of what happens. But in my head, I was like, he's going to fight Joshua, he's going to fight Fury. And Francis even said that's kind of the timeline he's looking for as well. But with Fury Usyk getting delayed like it was, maybe that shifts some things back. And maybe now, with them saying, hey, I'm interested, maybe we get him in MMA. And I got to be honest, I love watching. I loved watching the Fury fight. It was fun. It was exciting. I think this is fun and exciting. The Joshua, it's interesting. It's different. Like, let's see what he can be here. But at the end of the day, 
I want to watch the best heavyweight fighter in the world fight other heavyweights. And I don't care if they're the best. It would be cooler if we got Francis John Jones, but we're not going to get that. And so I'm fine with us pride style here. We're going to roll Fedor out against old Ironhead and see what kind of shenanigans or Tom Fuller goes down. Hey, let's roll Francis Ngannou out there and see if he can physically uppercut Ante Delia out of the cage. Like that would be sick. And instead, if what we're going to get is Francis is going to fight the winner of this, either a fairly big name Ryan Bader in a fight that probably won't be interesting or Hinan Fajera, who in a fight that will be really fun for as long as it lasts until Hinan Fajera goes to sleep. I'm, I am more interested in that fight this weekend now because I know what comes after it, or at least what might come after it. And, and that might is now much more real than it was an hour ago. So yeah, I'm actually a little bit more excited because of this announcement. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. And by the way, I know we're tough on PFL, but we want it comes from a place of love. Just the same, like the same reason we were so hard on Bellator. We just want them, like the UFC does from time to time. They do the thing, and when they do the thing, it's great. And we want Bellator to do the thing, and we want PFL to do the thing. We want their, we want them to do well. We really do, but they just shoot themselves in the foot so many times. I just, 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 just but, do good. Let's just do my- the good thing. Sure, they are promotionally failing like fairly often, but they do have a belt with a ring can get inserted into it. So you got to factor in that kind of innovation in the you know combat sports title belt game. Nobody else out here doing that. Smart cages and belts with inserts. Come on. Well, I might as well ask the question now since we just reacted to this news. So, Jed, I understand the stakes are very high. Now with this Ryan Bader Henan Ferrer fight, is this the one fight you would watch if you could only watch one fight on this card? Oh, on this card? No, because I'm a sicko. But I want to be <laughs> really clear that this is not true for probably any other person, and it God sure should it be true for any of you. If I could watch one fight this weekend. And I mean this from the bottom of my sick, demented heart. It's Tiago Santos, Yoel Romero. Like that's that I just have to watch. That is going to be a staring contest for 15 minutes, but it's going to be such a tense 15 minutes because at any point in time, either man might put the other to sleep, and they won't because they will not commit to fighting the other. But they're going to look at him real hard, and I'm going to be riveted. Nobody else should want to see this fight. It's going to be one of the worst fights ever, probably. But it is easily the fight I would have to watch the most from the entire slate this weekend. And you're talking to you know the co-founder of Flyweight Unders. There are five of those in the UFC. The main event I just said is pretty good. I've been on how Clay Colliday, Jimmy Key's good. A lot of good fights. Give me the worst one of those because I need <laughs> to see it happen. Oh, BC, where are you at? You can only watch one fight on this card. What are you picking? And is it Tiago Santos versus Joel Romero? Well, he stole my thunder from throwing that in as sort of my gas station hot dog pick because that also lights me up in all the way the right ways. And he's right. It won't deliver, right? But it's the closest thing we can get to that ridiculously awesome Yoel uh, uh, Rumble fight, RIP, that we never got in that Bellator tournament. And uh, so, yeah, I love that. But no, look, uh, if I had to pick one card, even though I love what, again, I, I, I'm cheering for PFL like you guys are to, to for this to work. It's interesting. It, it's exciting. It's 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 ambitious. 
but I'd rather watch the UFC card as a whole, even though it's not as deep. And a lot of that is that co-main event, guys. Uh, Yair versus Brian Ortega is one of my Super Bowls. It fits into the wheelhouse of what I prefer and what I like. And I think it's also an exciting fight. No, I'm not going to sit here and try to defend Brian Ortega still holding a ranking right now or that ridiculously weird rant he had about Eagles in the past couple of days. That was just so bizarre that I was loving it. There was a guy in the bushes with a talent. He read Team Go. I mean, it was all over the place. It was real weird. But the first fight had that potential to be fireworks, and then it fell apart due to injury. And I really think with Toporia winning the championship, resetting this division, the fact that Yair has been talking so much junk about him coming in to this and saying that he's going to fight him, if he goes out there and beats Ortega, which he really should, even with my Ortega super fandom, he really should, that's the best way you can rebrand yourself and come back after that humbling one-sided loss to Volk, who's no longer the champion. And whether or not we're actually going to get these ridiculous but understandably big fights like Taporia against McGregor or even uh, O'Malley, this is one of the best fights you can make if it's just Taporia now doing what his job is to defend that title one after another for all the killers they line up, whether it's Max Holloway or whether, you know, whoever comes out of here. Uh, a refurbished Yair against him would be fireworks. You could put that fight in Mexico, Spain, anywhere. You could put it in the American Embassy in India and reunite Luke Thomas and I'd be fired up for it. It's fireworks. I love it. I can't wait to see who the new person in Brian Ortega's personal life is because he is, you know, love him or hate him, the uh, Scott Bay of our lifetime you know the john mayer the whatever you want to say there um and also look if he's going to do anything in his career moving forward it is entering sort of now or never territory this is a big opportunity they've kept him in the rankings if he does get the win and pull the upset who's to say he's not going to launch himself into a massive fight the level of either a title shot or or, or an inevitable rematch with Max Holloway which I want to see one day I just don't have that full confidence in my guy Ortega that he's going to stop doing what he loves most which is not moving his head leading with his chin and showing the area of Los Angeles and how tough it was where he was raised those facts are all true but if he was able to use this time off and really not recommit his action potential or his heart god he's overflowing with that and the same level he's overflowing with looks and charm i mean look at his belt and the notches on it i will say though i think there's one more chance for him if he's looking to be a little more patient round at his game it probably won't happen but i gotta see it i mean you will be entertained either way yair versus ortega too and i think you guys know this that's the fight of the weekend let's go jen would you be betting on Brian Ortega this weekend? Something tells me you're not betting on Brian Ortega this weekend. I'll never bet on Brian Ortega. He's bad. I will go to my grave thinking he is not good at fighting. He just keeps winning, and it it baffles me, and it stuns me. And he almost did the damn thing to Volk. Like Brian said, he's just going to come in and get hit a bunch and then somehow pull victory from the Charles of Defeat. Wouldn't shock me if he did that to Yair, but I, I think Yair is going to win. Uh, I know that the first fight is weird, and I, I hesitate to call it fluky. I know a lot of people call it fluky. It's not like his arm fell out just like being around. Yair pulled on it, and the arm fell out because he pulled on it. Like that was an, uh, that, That's a win for me and Yair Rodriguez's book because he, he can't be – he's not at fault. He didn't make Brian Ortega have soft arms that anyone can just tug easily out of socket. I don't know what happened there, but – I think the same thing's going to happen. Yair Rodriguez is maybe not like the exact same, but I do think he's still going to be able to get this win because I think he is a more potent offensive force. And 
probably a better defensive fighter, though still not like either man's strength. But Brian Ortega is just so cavalier with his defense. I think, yeah, he probably kicks him a bunch. And I, at least I'm hoping, because if, if Ortega wins, he might get to fight Ilya. And he, Ilya will be beating his ass for 20 minutes and then fall into a guillotine, because that's just the magic of Brian Ortega. Well, there's this weekend. There's going to be a lot more to discuss, so stick with us at MAFighting.com. Let's move on to round number four. The point for round three goes to... I mean, when you're dropping Charles in Charge, Scott Bayo references, you just got to get the point. BC just knows how to play this game. Two to one for BC. After you know, the Jay, by the looking at Judge is, is like looking at a younger version of myself. You know what I mean? It's great. <laughs> I know his weaknesses. You know, it's great. It's fantastic. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, I'm glad you're here, BC. Uh, let's get everybody on the screen here because the last time you were on this program, we were talking about UFC 300. We were talking about the expectations. We were talking about the lineup as it was. You were not a fan of this lineup. You expected more, you expected better. And I tried to dad talk you into thinking, look, man, relax, it's gonna be okay. We're still gonna get a really good card. Like perhaps your expectations were a little too high. And maybe I felt made you feel a little bit bad, like not mad, but disappointed in you in some ways. And I, and I didn't mean to make you feel that way. But now we have filled in the big hole here, the big gap, if you will. The main event has been announced for UFC 300. It is not Drickus Duplessis versus Israel Adesanya. It is not Leon Edwards versus Hamza Chimaev. It is not Leon Edwards versus Makachev. It is not John Jones versus anybody. It is not Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. It is Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill. And BC, I will begin with you because I gave you the disappointed dad speech before. What was your reaction to this main event? It came out of left field, but in the world of, hey, buckle your gosh darn seatbelts because when we announce this fight, you're going to get launched into another dimension. Your socks are going to blow off. Everything's going to blow off. You aren't even prepared for this. And... With the lack of preparation, he's absolutely right, especially with the UFC going to Rio three weeks later. But your reaction to Alex Pereira versus Jamal Hill being the main event for UFC 300? 
Yeah, the only thing that was blown off was UFC's commitment to the assignment here. Am I going to act like this fight sucks or something? No, it's it's an explosive fight that carries, you know, two exciting guys that I do like to see. It's just not a UFC 300 main event. And even with Pereira's incredible run through less than 10 fights, winning two division titles in the UFC, unless he's fighting Izzy, really, I don't think he should be in the main event either unless it was matchup, you know, dependent. This is not a UFC 300 matchup main event. I mean, this just proves to you that they completely bungled this. And I don't really know what the, what the true issue was. It could actually be that they were hoping and thinking all along it was McGregor Chandler. And then despite the, the debate Jed and I had, maybe there's something true there that delayed that. Or maybe they had thoughts on another fight that quickly became clear couldn't happen. But what they did at the turn of this new year and the announcement after, you know, after last year to build that momentum was announce some pretty damn good main events for UFC 297, 298, which had a very deep card, 299, which is deep as balls and is so good that it's almost <laughs> as good or better than 300. At the end of the day, does 300 have tremendous depth? Oh, God, yeah. And again, do I hate this main event? No. I mean, look, look, look it's fireworks. It's two absolute bangers. It's got that trope, that historic trope we love of current champion against the guy who never lost it in the cage. One of the same things that lured us to Ali Frazier one and Habib versus Connor, which are, you know, maybe the two biggest fights in their own ways in their respective sports history. Uh, this ain't it, but at least it has that. But the reality is it's clear they have botched this and not prioritized what should have been, uh, yeah, you could say, oh, it sells itself. It's 300. Yeah, it does. If it was a shitty card with a great main event and a decent co-main, but that main event was so great, that also sells itself. But you have to ask yourself, what is the goal of a card like 300? It should be twofold. One, it should be to absolutely maximize financially. And two, it should be the kind of thing that stands out historically. Who were the relevant players that deserve it in that era? There's a reason why Brock Lesnar was in the main event of UFC 100 and you had GSP behind him right there in the co-main and there's a reason why UFC 200 started with Connor versus Nate 2 quickly became John versus DC 2 and even with it being botched you still had the return of Brock Lesnar you still had a ridiculously cool last minute silver versus DC fight that we didn't know what to expect you still had the changing of the guard with the greatest woman of all time Amanda Nunes earning her first title you still had you know uh, Edgar versus Aldo two on the main card, the return of a healthy Cain Velasquez. You have depth on this 300 card, but to not prioritize the thing that accomplishes both of those objectives, the cash in business element and the fact that you want this thing to be a truly historic event that shakes up the casual fans, the people that used to be there during the Anderson Silva and GSP runs, but maybe lost favor for whatever reason with the current product, this would bring them back. That's why there should have been a veteran on this card, somebody on a GSP level who was you know close in and out of retirement that they could bring back. And you should have had a main event that captures everything and pulls everyone in and says, hey, look, I don't know how good this card's going to be top to bottom, but I got to pay for it because I can't miss either the return of a great name or a crazy hot matchup like Adesanya versus Pereira, right? Like, I mean, we were getting so desperate that the ideas that were actually thrown around 
And the fact that Bilal Muhammad couldn't get his name in any of them? I mean, I don't agree Bilal Muhammad it should ever be in the main or co-main for a card like UFC 300, even though I believe he deserves to get that rifle title shot against Leon Edwards. They weren't even allowing that in the conversation, yet they didn't even know what they were doing. And the UFC can say whatever they want, and, and protectors of the UFC or haters of me can say whatever they want about this whole, man, they botched this. But Jamal Hill revealed it. He didn't even know about this opportunity until the day before. All, he can say all he want, how he was you know, supposed to be there all along. None of those guys were. In reality, the people that belong in a UFC 300 main event right now are certainly the McGregor level guys or anybody older with just that monster name. But you could have even gone someone like Max Holloway. I would not have hated this, by the way, if the answer was the last fight we're going to add to this card is Leon Bilal, but we're going to push Justin versus Max to the main event. Would that have made a worse card than we actually have here? Yes. But like those guys are main event worthy at UFC 300, maybe the greatest action fighter of all time in Gaethje against one of the biggest fan favorites in sort of a Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture mode, Max Holloway. That is the type of star power that would have been deserving. The, the Whitaker Pereira, like we said, any of these other juicy matchups. And we got a good matchup. But they had a rob from 301 in Brazil to make it happen. This is where we're at today with the UFC's eye off the ball of the things that pitter-patter to fans' hearts. They're still on the ball of maximizing UFC's revenue. There's no question. They're raising ticket prices like you've never seen. Hey, if you're a super fan, you can get your name on the inner ring of the octagon, right where Mickey's Malt Liquor used to be. All that stuff is maxing out. But the product is still getting watered down just a bit. We still got too many cards at the Apex. And what they proved here are that things like Power Slap and the other brands that they're growing, including the addition of WWE and trying to put out this Vince McMahon fire for TKO, is the idea that their eye is off the ball on the things that we fell in love with them first about. Their ability to build stars and their ability to make can't-miss cards that you can't freaking miss. This is not a main event that you can't freaking miss. It is, though. A pretty damn good fight and if the card lives up to any level of expectation to the depth of it and if that main event ends in a knockout we probably are still going to exit ufc 300 happy but to look at what the ufc has in the cupboard and not have conor mcgregor on this card is a joke to the plan decision making and really the care for the fan I know depth matters. I know start to finish, you're not going to believe what's opening in the night in the prelims. That's all great. UFC 200 had that too. I almost felt guilty watching those early prelims that were so good because I'm like, these should be headlining different cards. But this is 300. This is 30 years. This is look at how much we've grown. This is, hey, everybody that ever thought about the UFC, come by this one event because this justifies everything we've ever done. And our answer to that is Pereira versus Jamal Hill. And we tried to get Hamza a visa that he can't get because we tried to, I mean, like, like, what are we doing here? So no, I'm disappointed overall. It's still like a, like a massive FU. It tells us, yeah, we made sure Tom Brady showed up at power slap six, but we think 300 sells itself on name value alone. These are the missteps over time that lead to the downfall. Pride comes before the fall. This is a pride alert right here, okay? The pride of the UFC fan. You didn't matter to them as much in this case. It's the truth. It's what it is. It's where we're at. Deal with it. Jed? I mean, we've had a few days to digest this. Does it go down any smoother? A few days to digest fucking BC's answer. 
Jesus Christ, dude. It was 15 minutes if it was an hour. God damn. Why, when I'm on the show, why does it always belong, guys? I've got things to do. I mean, come on, you know? Who can it's say? It's not me. Well, in an, effort, in an effort to make sure this doesn't take two hours to do this show, I'll boil this down real quick for us, Mike. Christ <laughs> on the cross. Uh, the answer is BC's not all like not wrong, but I've come around to not caring. Which is like, which is what what they expected was going to happen. Is this the knock your socks off announcement that we were all promised? No, socks fully on, so my shoes, snow boots, et cetera, et cetera. But BC said the thing that I think is the most important part here, and it is at the end of the night, UFC three hundred probably going to get a knockout, really exciting fight, and we're all going to leave that event feeling okay. It's not the grand spectacle we expected. That sucks. But this card, top to bottom, is incredible. It's uh, probably the best card ever put together on paper. The main event is meaningful and a good fight. It should be happening in Brazil. Absolutely. Idiotic that it's not happening in Brazil. But on that Saturday night in that moment, we won't care. What we'll care about is that we just got seven hours of unbelievable fist fighting happening. We got incredible knockouts. It's going to feel like a big event because it is a big event. And it's going to be capped off not by Leon Edwards and Bilal Muhammad tepidly fighting each other for 25 minutes in a fight that is objectively great mixed martial arts, but also objectively a bad viewing experience. Instead, we're watching one of the most violent dudes that's ever graced this earth fight a guy who maybe is really good. I'm still really not sure on what Jamal Hill is, but that fight is going to deliver a satisfactory ending to the evening. We will not be ending the evening on our vegetables. We will be finishing it off, maybe not with dessert, because Gaethje Holloway is, is clearly the dessert, but it will be a good post-dinner coffee, something to put pep in our step, and the people leaving the arena will be amped, and we'll be on that post-show being like, event of the year, probably event of the year. A lot of problems with it structurally, absolutely. But you know what? Who gives a shit? Because Alex Pereira just did something really sick. So could this all be better? Yeah. I'm mostly happy that it's done. The saga of what will headline 300 is over. It's acceptable enough. And come April, we're going to forget most of this. Not all of it, because again, what BC said was largely true. But we'll forget enough of it in the moment because it's still going, the product ultimately will deliver. And that is how the UFC has staved off falling at this point. They have been promotionally bad for some time, but the product ultimately ends up delivering more often than not. And that's the thing that matters the most. So that's what I expect. And I know it's a little bit lame, but it'll be okay, guys, because come April, it'll all be pretty fun. Yeah, it's very true. And now the biggest question in MMA seems to be, at least for the last couple of days of heck of a morning, is uh, what's going to headline UFC 301 now? Like now all they've done Ball, is just flipped it to the next Ball. card. So it's Pantoja Leon versus Mystery Man. Oh, no friggin' way that I gotta do that. They'd rather throw that in Newark. They better, they're just hoping Jailton Almeida dusts up Curtis Blades and they could do like Almeida versus Aspinall. Like, that's literally all you can do at this point. But if Curtis Blades wins, that ruins the plans. All right. We're gonna move on real, real quick. Uh, point for round four goes to. It goes to Jed because uh, he's right. I, by the time we get to April 13th, no one's going to care. We're going to have a good time. 
uh, we're going to do a watch party for the whole frigging card from Figgy oh, Smalls, wow. Cody, all the way to the end. So we're going to be watch partying okay. for seven hours for UFC. You gave the point to the guy who spent his whole answer saying BC was right. Yeah, but he did it in BC. When you talk for an hour, minutes. you're going to be right about some shit. Like you can't be wrong for an hour straight. I mean, it sounds like well, this, a hip hop artist just using samples to remake classics. You know, what I mean? it's great, but you know, sorry, James Brown invented that. All right. Well, listen, this is this is the true test of Brian Campbell right now because it's time for the knock yeah. around, and he only gets one minute to answer the question. Just one. He usually goes over. This time he's not because I'm not going to let him. But there's a question that was just dropped in our Slack channel. I was hoping the super chatters would come through with something good, but they. Uh, we appreciate all of you. We didn't get like that barn burning question. So Jed, what are we doing? You going first or is BC going first? Well, since just I keep know here? the question, since you said it was dropped in our Slack channel, I'll go first because it feels unfair. Yes. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. But BC, you get a chance to, you get a chance to, to linger here. Uh, one minute on the clock. We talked about the Francis Gano news that he awaits, or at least promotionally awaits, the winner of the Ryan Bader Henning Ferreira fight. So state your case, Jed, in 60 seconds or less. Who will wait longer for a fight? Chandler waiting for McGregor or the Bader Ferreira winner waiting for Francis Ngannou? One minute on the clock and go. Easy Chandler waiting for McGregor. One, he's already waited like a year. I don't know when we started that clock officially, but it's been a long time. And in case you missed it earlier in the show, Conor McGregor's never fighting again. He's certainly never fighting Michael Chandler again. So Michael Chandler will be waiting forever. And that's a pretty long time in the scheme of things. Forever is pretty pretty up there. Uh, whereas, again, I I think Francis Ngannou is going to lose Anthony Joshua. If he doesn't, obviously all this math changes a whole hell of a lot. But I think Anthony Joshua probably beats him. And then when he does... Tyson Fury is locked up with Usyk right now. That'll happen, and then maybe there's a Joshua fight. Fury wants to fight Francis Ngannou, but there are other fights that are out there for Fury as well that might make a little more sense timeline-wise. So I honestly, at this point, I would say 50-50 shot, maybe 55-45. If Francis Ngannou fights the winner of this fight before the end of the year, and again, McGregor's never fighting, so that's forever. Okay. That's Jed's answer, BC. One minute. I didn't hear the question. What was the question? Oh, well, Jed wins then. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, who will wait longer for a fight, BC, in one minute or less? Michael Chandler waiting for Conor McGregor or the Ryan Bader, Henan Ferreira winner waiting for Francis Ngannou? One minute on the oh, clock. That's so easy. Go. I don't even need the full minute. In fact, I'm a little chapped right here. Let me get out some uh, MK Jerkins. You can order this on uh, morningcombat.store right here just to kind of warm the hands up for the big, you know, the big answer here. The, you know, he just got to grab life by like, okay. Uh, look, the answer is very easy. Um, it's going to be Michael Chandler. And this has been a massive failure by the UFC to not show what I believe is the true intentions and the understanding of why is Conor McGregor not fighting? Why would you roll out the ultimate fighter show and all of that? Is it because you wanted to, you know, establish this new drug testing thing and you're not going to let Conor fight in the first six months so no one complains? No, they don't care about that at all. It's Francis Ngannou is going to fight Anthony Joshua, win or lose. He's going to have a spring or summer fight in MMA for the PFL. And then he's going 
going to either rematch Fury or whoever else, or maybe fight for the title in boxing to close the year. Chandler versus McGregor will happen at the end of this year. Once the UFC and Connor get to whatever the end of this debate over that big round number is, because the UFC would like to keep him around for the new TV deal coming up. All these conspiracy theories matter. It's going to be the heavyweight who will fight next. Not Chandler. Oh, okay. Not Chandler, yes. I think we're all kind of in agreement now. Jed says... Sounds like shame. Yes. Uh, get your votes in and do them quickly. Uh, this is a long program, and it's okay. We had a great time. Fantastic day. BC is... I mean, he's moisturized. I I'm guess Luke. we could say. I'm ready. He's ready. Uh, so cast your votes. Who wins? Is it BC or is it Jed Bushu? Or maybe Casey's just like, you know what? Screw all this. I'm going to announce the winner. I'm waiting for the graphic or something to come up. Or maybe Casey just pops up and announces it. I don't know. The vote is super close. So we need, oh. I need to count every vote. I got to double check it. I got to double check all the chads on it. But keep voting. Fair. It is super close. So um, all right. talk I will. yourselves. I'll- I'll talk. Uh, we will have a preview show tomorrow for UFC Mexico City and the Champ versus Champs card, PFL versus Bellator. Uh, Jed and I, I believe, will be on PFL coverage on Saturday to get you all hyped for all things PFL. Early card, but still going to last a long, long time. And then UFC Mexico City, 7 p.m. prelims, 10 p.m. main card. I think we're going to do a people's pre-fight show like right around 6.15 could even turn into like a little mini watch party for the Ryan Bader Henan Ferrer main event, which now has all the stakes and all the sizzle. So stay tuned I'm for that Saturday too. I'm doing our post show. So oh yeah, good for you. Yeah, just saving the you day. Which well, I mean, MMA rivalry would you compare to to Jed Mashu and myself? Hmm, it's a great question. It's a great question. <laughs> No, it's gotta like be Cheyenne and JP Bay, Kevin Lee, like Michael Chiesa. Sleaziest. Yeah, don't be talking about his mother, please, Jed. <laughs> I don't know. Those are good ones. Ally Quinta versus somebody. I think rings pretty true. Tito versus Chael. Tito versus Chael. Wow. Oh, Tito versus Chael. That's that a great yeah. one. Not a bad, yeah. That's not a bad one. <laughs> That might be the answer. I don't know how I feel about that. Casey just won BTL. Pretty good answer. Casey just won BTL. Do we have a winner? We do have a winner. We have a winner. All right. Your winner today with 52% of the votes is... Jed Mishu. He did it! Tampa Jed is a different animal. He just needs to be out of the home studio. When he's out of the home studio, he wins. It's incredible Boy, if you're going to beat Brian Campbell, you got to go to Florida. The only way you can get rough, rugged, and raw enough is to be in the state of Florida because that's BC's whole essence, and I've taken it from him now in the heart of Tampa. Hell yeah, KSW is also this weekend, and it's going to be dope. Let's get the hell out of here because the show's going to be two hours long, Mike. Yes. BC, thank you for joining us as always. Any final thoughts for the people? 
I said this smells like shame. It kind of smells like straw weights, too. You can take that for what it's worth. Jed was a worthy adversary. It's great to come out of my hiatus right now to reemerge for this show. BTL is my second favorite MMA show. Thanks for having me. Yes. Behind the MMA Can hour? Look- is that... Mm. Nope. Wow. When is yeah? Wow. They, we're awaiting the return of MK, and it's in the form we have all grown to love it. Uh, so stay tuned for that. BC and Luke back on a regular basis, and I'm I'm excited. You can hit the music, Casey. That two weeks. I'm, When's that kick back up, BC? Yeah. Good. What is that coming back? I don't. I don't. I don't have to reveal that here. Just just to be fair with you guys. But thanks for having <laughs> me. It was great talking. In the near future, everybody. He's out of here. BC. The mystery man, Jen. I am Mike Hack. Shout out to Casey, the iconic voice of Estrella, and takes you home. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Woohoo! A live read. That was a live one. Big time. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.